With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Finals, but uh, but overall, I'm I'm doing well. 
Well, we, you know, we good. It's going to be a lot of basketball talk. And, you know, when you're on RSG and you're talking basketball, you have to have my guy. Y'all know, he's the kind of guy that might pull the dog out tonight because you know he got some stuff to say tonight. Is my guy, Justin Page. How you doing, brother? Oh, man, D. Wills, thanks for the intro, man. I'm doing great. Uh, blessed to be here. Thank, thankful that you guys are having me. Slightly disappointed uh, uh, that I don't have my man Game Changer on with me, but I love you two equally, and let's, let's make it a good night. Well, yeah, I've been excited. I know, you know, this has been a great, you know, playoff, a lot of twists and turns, and, and it's ending, and I was thinking, oh, it's so good to have Justin on tonight, man. So I look forward to hearing uh, – uh, what you have to say as we, we get into this NBA season. You know, one of the things I want to say before I get started, you know, many people who listen to RSG um, over the years uh, know that I'm an avid Steeler fan. And to uh, to know that uh, the, the great Steeler coach, a coach that often gets forgotten when we're talking about people like Belichick and we're naming all these coaches and, you know, he – he invented the multiple rings in football where he was coming at it, you know, out of the steel curtain days. But Chuck knows that, you know, just taking a franchise that was like the football version of the Clippers and turning it around <laughs> and building it to the dynasty. You know, for 40 years they were just terrible. And uh, he came along and they produced, uh, uh, you know, I think close to 10 Hall of Famers. Um, he's someone that would be, be missed. And then I was meant to talk about, you know, Tony Gwynn. You know, we're going to talk a lot of basketball tonight. But, um, you know, Tony Gwynn's passing for me uh, is, is significant because, you know, in a sport where um, you don't have as much African-American participation as you probably had in the 70s. Um, uh, and the way they described him, when they described Tony Gwynn, I didn't know they described this, this guy that was a cerebral ball player and all these things. I said, well, he must be probably was a white ball player. Um, and then I first saw him play, and I'm like, this is Tony Gwynn? And the way that he revolutionized the game using video, the way in which he studied pitchers, um, not only was he just, you know, a great athlete in terms of his timing and quickness but, uh, with the bat, but the way in which he, pers- he, he, he approached the game, revolutionized it, in a way that's just common today. So, you know, we, we're losing these legends, you know, and, and for many of us are real sports guys, these are folks we grew up watching throughout their careers. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's difficult to start to watch them pass away when they have played such a significant role yeah. in our lives. So I just want to lay that out. A guy like Chuck Noll, you know, I wonder if Eric Spolstra, somebody like him, will be remembered in history similar to how, Chuck Knowles are forgotten because Chuck yeah. Knowles had so many Hall of Famers on his team, so many all-time greats that, you know, I think some people kind of take a position of, well, he should have won those many championships with those players. But we know that, you know, coaching still is a big deal and still makes a big difference. I mean, you hit it right on the head. I mean, he was, he was a major part of helping with drafting these players, um, cultivating them. Now, particularly when you think about a, a person like Bradshaw and everything he went through through his time and, and really staying on him. But, you know, you know, not only drafting great talent but then cultivating it. Um, you know, yeah, I don't think you're right. I think sometimes it gets overshadowed by 
you know, you know, you've seen all these great players, you know, watching Mean Joe Green changed the way I felt about football. It was the reason why I liked being a defensive lineman. Um, I, that was that was my guy. Um, and uh, But Chuck Noll was kind of the person that kept everything sane. Uh, it's the stories they tell about him, you know, making sure he got home for dinner and making sure his coaches got home for dinner at a time where people say you got to sleep all night or you're not really coaching. You know, but he, he on the way, he understood that it was quality of the client, um and believed in that. So, yeah, you're right. I think he sometimes gets overshadowed by his um, – by his uh, uh, the great players he had on his teams, and I think the the the, the, the you know connection to Spolstra might be great. So I think his his ability and his strength as a coach, I think, gets overshadowed by his big three. You know, people miss some of the subtle adjustments, some of the things that he does. That you know, other people who have coaching eyes see it like that's brilliant the way or the way he's developed the offense. He doesn't get a lot of credit in the same way that you, you would say Chuck Noll did. So that's a lot going on. We want to make sure I want to make sure we announce it because we got a lot of basketball we're going to be talking tonight. I mean, we have a full plate. Uh, we're going to try and hit all these points. You know, we just kind of put a buffet out there. We try to eat everything, nibble and everything, but sometimes we get stuck on a certain kind of food. We might stay there a little bit longer. But we got a lot to talk about. You know, we think about the tournament. You know, we're going to have uh, a lot to say. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Under Rocks, Funky Editorial, we're going to talk about the Spurs because a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about the Heat, but we're going to talk about the Spurs and it's a unique theme that kind of takes me home a little bit about the Editorial brought to us by On the Rocks. Uh, that's going to be uh, important. We're going to do an analysis of the finals. You can't have Justin Page on the air and not get deep into this. It's like a waste of energy. You know, oh, we're going to get deep. Yeah, we're going to get deep. We got Justin. Yeah, we got, we, got, we, got, we got Justin. They talk about Stephen A. We got Justin. I put Justin up against Stephen A. So we Deep is an understatement, my friend. Yes, yes. Deep is an understatement. We're going to get into all this NBA Finals talk. And we're going to get into the future of the NBA, the Miami Heat, everything that you can talk about basketball. We're going to get into it tonight. We're going to get into it tonight. We're going we to OD on it. Yeah, the World Cup's on, but we're going to still OD on basketball. And then, you know, Everybody talks about the greatest draft ever. And we we will hold hold on this. You know, we've been this nineteen ninety four draft, uh, it's been on NBA T V. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna pick in that a little bit because it's just something we wanna do. And then we gotta check what we have in the news where we have a chance to bring up something that just in the news that kinda caught our eye around sports that we just wanna share with each other and talk a little bit about. Um, and then we're gonna have the resistance digital uh dog of the week. Uh, as well tonight, and we're going to have the XL Academics last word. Uh, all of the, uh, the, the any guests or, and all of the real sports guys are brought to you by Frederick County. Frederick County is the official county for real sports guys. You know, if you have uh, business needs, try to develop your business, business services, just reach out to those folks at Frederick County. You can get to them by going to realsportsguys.com. Click on the Frederick County um, uh, symbol. And then it will take you uh, right to their site and get the folks to call. Let them know that the real sports guys told you. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have some fun tonight. We're going to have a lot of energy tonight. But, you know, we always, um, you know, have to kind of set the table a little bit. We had an interesting finals. It was a beatdown of epic proportion. It was the kind of thing that made me just, I realized when I watched Popovich, 
sitting there, I just realized how, the greatness of Popovich. And uh, so the theme for the funky editorial tonight, you know, I'm, I'm from Michigan, from Ann Arbor, and Bo Schimbacher had this great saying, the team, the team, the team. He was saying in the context of, you know, when you leave Michigan, after this you go to the pros, you're going to play for something else. You're going to play for a contract. You're going to play for endorsements. You're going to play for your family. You're going to play, but this is the last time you're going to play for the team. But San Antonio reminded us of the importance of what Bo talked about in his finals. And so we're going to spend some time, but you know how we do it with the Funky Editorial. That was the one thing we needed to say. Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, right. Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit. Everybody want to get funky one more time. All right, fellas, before we get started, so many people are trying to figure out what happened with the Heat, what they're going to do after. We're going to spend this segment talking about the winners because we want winners. We, we don't have time to spend time with folks who lost and they crying about stuff. We're going to spend this segment talking <laughs> about the winners. I'm going to start with Jim Seal, and then I want to let Justice, I'm going to in the corner like a great MC waiting for me to pass the mic. I'm going to make for a little bit because he's he got nuts scratched out. So I'm going to start with you on this. <laughs> what impressed you most about the Spurs team? The thing that impressed me the most was how they just, um, the level of ball that they played, the ball movement, um, the, the defensive philosophy, in terms of not letting anybody else other than LeBron get off. Um, but I think the hallmark of the whole series was just how everybody on that team was a threat from the outside, with the exception of Twitter. And everybody on that team was a threat from the three-point line, with the exception of Twitter and Duncan. And we all know Duncan can take it out to 20 feet with no problem. It, to me, it, it felt like an international brand of ball. Like I was watching the FIBA championships or the Olympics, kind of like when the U.S. had those down years uh, in 2004 and 2000, uh, 2000 2004, um, where they just got beat because teams are moving the ball and they, were, they didn't have the best collection of talent, but they had the best collection to make the best team. And so when you look at guys like Patty Mills, you look at guys like um, Boris Diaw, they did the unique things that complemented their team. And so I, clearly everybody knows I was pulling for the heat. But I had a hard time being upset that the Spurs won. I enjoyed watching them play. I mean, they play a beautiful brand of basketball. Justin, I'm going to throw up the same question. I think it's worth talking about this. What impressed you most about you watch Spurs game? What impressed me most about the Spurs is their ability to get great shots. Mm. It sounds elementary. It sounds as if that's something that's so simple. But I feel like the Heat worked hard for every bucket they earned. While the San Antonio Spurs picked the Heat apart by way of giving up good shots to get great shots. There's not a single point 
in this five-game emasculation period. I won't even call it a series. I'll call it an emasculation period. There were, there were, I can count on one hand all the plays where the Spurs did not get whatever they wanted. And I think that is a testament to, to Popovich and his system. It's a testament to their organization. It's a testament to their coaching staff that had them that focused, that dialed in to, to that level and to that extent to where they had their offense clicking on all cylinders in addition to their defense. They said, all right, we'll let LeBron get his 20 a game. Yeah. You, you know, we'll let you get your 20 a game, but you're not going to get them easy. You're going to work for them. And we're going we're gonna to take out everybody else. That was their game plan. They literally had the same exact game plan they had the year before, but yet Miami just didn't have enough in the tank to get it through. So as much as this is on San Antonio's greatness, you got to look at Miami's weakness to some degree as well. But we're, I know that the conversation at the moment is focused on San Antonio, so I'll focus it on Pop's ability to make his team be dialed in and focused. I'll put emphasis on the ball movement that I noticed on the offensive end of the basketball and the defense they play on LeBron and others. I can't even get anybody else a real name. I'm just going to call them others at the moment. And, you know, I'll give it up to San Antonio. They should be back-to-back champs. They should – Duncan should have got – should have uh, been escalated almost to MJ status because it should have been his sixth ring. <laughs> That's right. Really, if we really look at it, you know, last year was kind of fluke for Miami. And, and at the end of the day, man, San Antonio was the better team. I've never, I've never been so wrong about basketball in my entire life. And I'll get more into detail when we get on the subject because it's troublesome to admit your wrongs, but I'm going to admit a wrong tonight on something that I vowed to never do. We're going to get there because this is therapy for all of us. We all went with the heat. We all drank the Kool-Aid. We all did it. So we will get there. I think you had a line around Popovich. You know, and, and all three of us have played basketball. We played organized basketball. We played in pretty uh, aggressive, uh, talented league situations. So we played against good talent. And a lot of the things that Popovich is asking people to do, we've, we've known our whole basketball lives. Like, you know, pass to a better shot. You know, ball movement, making people make the defense work. All these things that you know, for us, we learned for years. What is it that makes him? And I'm sure other coaches try to push that philosophy. But what is it about Pop, Justin? I'll let you go because you kind of got in this, and I'll go to Phil. What is it about Pop that that makes it makes it work for him? How does he How does he get that? I'll tell you, and it's quite simple. I, I look at Pop similar to that of a Coach K. Mm-hmm. And I look at their upbringing. I look at their demeanor. I look at their leadership history. Think about what makes America great as a country. Mm. It's our ability to come together as one, our ability to protect ourselves in case any country is being disrespectful and or wants to invade us. 
Coach K is as great of a coach as he is because he came up in his training through the Army. Popovich, similar enough, happens to be born right outside of Chicago, in East Chicago, and actually in Indiana. He was in the Air Force, not the Army, but Air Force is comparable to the Army, if you ask me. And the discipline that I feel like he learned in the Air Force, playing four years of collegiate ball in the Air Force while still learning the discipline of our great nation, I think all those things, when you go through four years of, of, of combat, not just on the basketball court, but in real life, learning how to protect a country, when you learn how to protect the legacy in basketball, I mean, that, that's, you know, compare that to what you've already done. Like, you know, basketball is easy to pop. Protecting the country is something so, so, so vastly under, understated in this discussion. And if you look at all the coaches who had the regimen that Coach K had, that Popovich had, you have to really understand who they are as men. And they're born leaders. They're born trainers. And they want the best out of their guys. They know how to get it because they follow the lead of those other leaders in our country. And while it sounds very cliche that we're the best country in the world, don't you think everybody wants to come here? And they want to come here for a reason. It's because you have the ability to lead and, and, and create your own legacy. And Pop did that when he accepted the job with the Spurs. I think All that right. he gets the best out of his guys because he knows he's disciplined enough in his own regimen that he can require greatness from his guys, but he can also teach them how to work towards that greatness. And I think he gets the most out of everybody. Like, we can praise Patty Mills. We can praise Danny Green. Danny Green was in the D League three years ago. Okay? Pop gets the best. Danny Green, uh, I'm sorry, Boris Diaw got cut by the Charlotte Bobcats two years ago. Pop's got this guy looking like an all-star. Pop knows how to get the most out of all his players. And, and other than Duncan, he's never really had a, 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 a – uh, a first-team All-NBA caliber star like Phil Jackson had in all 11 of his championships. So I, I think Pop's demeanor, Pop's approach, Pop's communication ability, and his discipline that he's learned throughout his upbringing in, 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 in East Chicago and what he learned in, in the U.S. Uh, Air Force, I think that led him to be the best leader possible of men. And there's no better example in the game, in the world, than Greg Popovich. That's right. my take on it. There we go. He's, he's getting warmed up, y'all. He's not stressing. He broke a sweat. Like, he shot around. He showed you a jump hook straight away, and, and, and Justin is in the building. We move on to CLT. Phil, what's your analysis? What makes Pop great? I don't know. I don't get it. I really don't. Um, when he first started in the league, I, I just didn't get his scowl and I just didn't get it. Clearly, it's something he does behind closed doors to build that relationship with his players. But yeah, I I don't get it. <laughs> so, see the usual. Yeah, this is a guy who, who this is what he studies. This 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 is, this is part of he looks at how organizations work and you know all these different things and he's speechless. <laughs> Yeah, I'll get it. goes into the deep analysis of history, and then you can be speechless. 
I don't get it. I don't get it. I, just be real honest with you. I don't. <laughs> I think I think there is a, and I think Justin hit on something. We've all played for a lot of coaches, but you know those coaches who really care. And they can push you. And I think when they told the story about Patty Mills, you know, when he recognized, you know, one of the important days in uh, in Australia around, you know, his upbringing as an Aborigine, that right there said all you need to know about Pop is that he understands how these little things about making connections is important to building community and continuity. That winning is about continuity. So even the philosophy around why we move the ball, share the ball, do we do, it's all about continuity and connection. And you're not afraid to sacrifice other things to do that. That's why he's working on things. Things you saw in this series were things he was working on in October, November that he was tweaking over four, and that's the discipline piece, that he's sticking with that kind of adjustment. And that's something I don't see that many coaches do. When we juxtapose that to what, uh, let's say, uh, Indiana did or Oklahoma City, they did all that stuff. Coaches played all those players, adjusted, worked on those rotations, and when they got to the playoffs, they played with scared money. They played lineups. You know, if you look at OK City, you play all those young cats. They got all those key minutes. They play all those key moments down the stretch of games only to not play them in the playoffs. Whereas Pop did everything he did with Patty Mills so Patty Mills could do what he did in the finals. And he trusts that process. And players yeah. know that he trusts that process. And so part of what he does, he allows you to make mistakes. And that's the similarity with Coach K. Coach K does the same thing. If you watch the way he builds his team, he lets these young kids make mistakes to play through them because he understands where he wants them to be in March, right? I think if you look at Izzo, he does the same thing. Izzo's probably the closest to Pop in the fact that he plays his deeper lines. He'll play lineups that he's preparing for March, and he'll play through players, even when he doesn't have injury situations. Pop does that better than any other coach I've seen. I think the only other coach I've seen way back in my lifetime, which I think Chuck Daly was great with that, playing those combinations, doing some of these. Those are things, you know, I was talking about the game changers. Those are things that coaches, particularly in the 80s and 90s, did really well. They understood the power of the second unit. They understood that you can manufacture a second unit by taking your second star and making the leader of your second unit and creating more opportunities for scoring. That kind of stuff you see Pop do with Ginobili. So you might not get those kind of scoring opportunities with Tony on the floor, but this, this other unit, you're going to have 10 minutes with this unit, and you're the featured guy, right? So at the end of the game, you're going to have 15, 18 points, but probably 10 of those came when you were with the second unit. Yeah. That's the stuff he understands well. So, but uh, Phil T, I'm, this is a historic moment. I'm going to go back and listen to all our tapes. <laughs> if I ever have somebody who I consider is a emerging world class scholar in this area, and I was expecting the answer I heard from Justin, 
and he gave me I don't know. That kind of took me down. I didn't know what to do with that answer. I was ready. To, I had my notebook out. I was about to get on my pad. You're about to bring some analysis in. You're about to bring some theory framework in. And then you gave me a I don't know. And I just want to put my pen down. Like, what is this cat? You know, honestly, honestly, that's when the best theory is developed when you see something that you just don't know how to explain. <laughs> Yeah. You, you might, I, the thing about it is, you might mess around and go research and send me some stuff through the email. I know you. So we're going to, but just, I, let me, I'm going to give you another chance. This is a copycat league. This is a copycat league. What, what, what do you think you might see for other teams given what they saw from San Antonio, Phil? You think there's some things that people might take from this? I do. I think that. Clearly, San Antonio, you know, out of the 13 or 14 guys they have on their roster, I think either 9 or 10 of them um, mm-hmm. are non-domestic players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, clearly other teams in the NBA, probably all the teams in the NBA, scout overseas. They must. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's 2014. They must. But there's something that San Antonio does to find complementary players. Um, often they get complimentary players that have already played on other teams. You know, we always mm-hmm. hear about uh, Tony Parker. We hear about Ginobili and how they drafted him late and blah, blah, blah. But if you look at their roster now, a lot of their international players um, are guys that they got from other teams like Dial and Bellinelli. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't know. It's uh, They have some kind of system where they can get guys to buy in to winning. Clearly how Miami did the last couple of years, bringing in guys like Ray Allen and Battier, guys that were team-oriented and kind of knew their role. Like they weren't, like weren't going to come in and be AI. They understood at that point in their career they had a specific role to play and they were cool with doing that. And with San Antonio, they're able to do that with guys that are in the prime of their careers. <laughs> So, honestly, I'm just at all. Um, I I mean, this is a team that was down. Like, they had a couple of elimination games in the first round, okay? Um, so, I was I was rooting for San Antonio to lose in the first round of the West because the same way I was with Indiana against the Hawks because I knew that those are two teams, the Pacers and the Spurs, that would give the Heat the most problems. Well, well, I mean, I think you're, we, we've done a really good job of flushing this out. And uh, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. You know, uh, go to Real Sports Guys, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Join us. We have people liking us every day. Join the movement. Uh, the Funky Atari was brought to you by On The Rock. Uh, get out there. Check out all the people on The Rock. at Rockford, Illinois. Uh, they'd love to hear you, see you if you want to. Uh, uh, learn more about On The Rocks, just go to our website, click on their, um, their symbol. It'll take you right to their website. You'll learn more about On The Rocks. Our sponsors, uh, the Funk Editorial, we're going to move into really getting deep into the finals. What happened? How did the beat down happen? You know, don't jump up to get beat down. Was a song I was playing in my head. <laughs> Justin, I'm about to release some stuff. Man. I'm going to start with a simple question to you, brother. I'm going to let you stretch. 
What happened to the Heat? A lot happened to the Heat. And I want to get into it, but I have to digress just for a brief moment. Okay, you can't have okay. me on the show without me not piggybacking on something somebody else said. So okay. I apologize if I make us go, you know, a little bit oh, over. Oh, do, do your thing, man. I had you in the corner. Do your thing. I, I, I don't think it's a copycat. <laughs> I, <laughs> when, I, when I heard you mention it, I kind of I – kinda, Twinged, and I'm like, why is it a copycat league? The Spurs won in, in the most unconditional fashion known to man. No championship in this decade, with the exception of the 04 Pistons, has won playing team ball the way the Spurs did. The way you win championships in the NBA is you get the best star possible and you let him go to work. And LeBron James proved that, Michael Jordan proved that, and so on and so forth. So I don't think it's a copycat league. I don't think that, but, that but if you anybody think about has the, the ability to mimic the Spurs because nobody has the, the, the patience, the fortitude, or the wherewithal to do what the Spurs and, and, and Buford and Pop have done over the past 20 years, which is stay the course. Other teams need to just stay the course and not worry about what ESPN, when ESPN creates these stories, talking about you've got to blow it up to get better. No, you don't. Miami was the second-best team in the league this year, and, you know, that's not a bad place to be. So I don't think it's a copycat league, and I don't think you need to copycat San Antonio to achieve greatness. You need to stay the course you, you, and tweak some got, things along the way. But I, I, I got to say, you got to admit, even with those great players, the two things happened with the Lakers and the Bulls. What changed them was ball movement. The triangle offense would, made, would, would, would set Michael up was the ball movement of the triangle that created different ways for him to score. When he was when they were just doing a screen and roll and he was going to the basket, that's when he was losing. When he was if Mike had to get fifty to win teams Mike that would get 50 move to the win. ball. The teams that move the ball, even with Mike, remember that. The triangle, they were moving the ball. They want you know how many point, points per game Michael Jordan averaged on, on all six championships? There was a high score player within ten, I'm not 10 I'm, points I'm not of him. the point. How did he score? Him? He scored that. He didn't score just come down on a screen roll goal. He scored that on some movement. He was scored in multiple ways, but there was ball movement. I, it was I more, just it was watched. The score. I just watched MJ torch the Phoenix Suns in Game Five. Mike didn't pass. Mike the whole second half. I don't think he passed once. But all he did is was get the ball on the elbow and torch anybody that was guarding him. But, you but had I know that's not what we're talking about. Wide. I you just had, had to digress. You had cool coach. Let, let, let me you get the cool coach. You had Kerr. You had, you had to stay home. You couldn't help out. You couldn't help out Pippen. You had to stay home. You had to stay home because he was threatened to pass. So I'm not going to kill that. I'll, you, I'll let you get your point. It's your point. <laughs> now, go to the other point. Now, now what happened to the – so the question is, what happened to the Heat, right? Yes. I'll tell you what happened to the Heat. Hero ball is is the wrong <laughs> term, but it's the closest term I can I can use to come to grips with what I think happened to the Heat. I think Spo got so outcoached by Greg Popovich, he said, you know what, LeBron, we riding your coattail. And you'll notice on game five, LeBron changed his tune in that pre, pre-game huddle. He said, follow me, guys, follow me. He tried to set the tone in the first and the third quarter. 
to start the game and to start the second half and said, follow me, and he became a scorer. He had 19 of 21 points in the third quarter. That's not a recipe for winning basketball against a team. One individual never beats a team. So while I I don't think LeBron plays hero ball because he doesn't take every shot, Mm-hmm. I think LeBron dominates every possession, and he, he owns the ball 80% of the time in a 24-second shot clock. And those advanced metrics that all these coaches nowadays are using proves that. And I believe that LeBron was doing way too much. That's why he cramped up in the first game. It, it had nothing to do with the heat. There were, there was 23 other players on the court that didn't cramp up. But none of those 23 players were asked to play 40 minutes. None of them were asked to lead their team in points, rebounds, and assists, and blocks, and steals, and to control the offense and become a point guard. When did LeBron well, bring the ball up the court? Who does Fo go to when Chalmers gives you nothing? Who does Fo go to when D-Way gives you nothing? Who do you go why to do you when... Think, why do you think Chalmers became irrelevant? Because I used the term emasculation earlier. But Spo emasculated Chalmers. He, he made the man become a eunuch. He, he took Chalmers' confidence from all-time high, from hitting championships, championship shots against, uh, against uh, uh, Memphis in the championship game, to hitting championship guys to get 20, 25 points in game five last year. Mario Chalmers is a ball player. But if you don't allow him to play the point guard position, he can't produce. You put the but ball in LeBron, LeBron James' hands. The person who took his confidence was was Popovich. Once he started missing, he became self-checked. Now we from Michigan, we know what self-check means. He was it, it doesn't sound like you're interested in my opinion. I'll be I, honest. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to your opinion, but I'm saying they took all. Look at this. Go to the last three games, D. Wills. Go to the last three games. They took the ball away from Mario Chalmers. How can you take your ball away you from the point guard? They took the ball away from Mario Chalmers the last three games. They you gave the ball, the ball to LeBron and said, LeBron, do it all. Dribble the ball. Pivot, pivot uh, whoever's guarding you to death and make a play at the last second to either go to the bucket or shoot it to a, a three-point shooter who's not really a three-point shooter who's a center who used to average a double-double 20-12 and 12 in Toronto. You can't talk about change that. what got you to where you are. You don't. LeBron ain't played point forward all season long. He let Mario Chalmers run the point, and he did what he was supposed to do, which was rebound, defend, and score. But Spo got nervous, said LeBron take over. LeBron asked the team to follow him, and and, and I'll be honest, LeBron James, as great as he is, he makes role players better, but diminishes star players. So the way Wade, he got reduced to garbage. I hear sports commentators saying he shouldn't make $5 million a year. They want D-Wade to take the veterans minimum. Are you kidding me? They say Chris Bosh wouldn't get $10 million on the open market. Are you kidding me? LeBron James diminished their value. And Coach Spo allowing LeBron to, to, to do that took away their ability to be successful as a cohesive unit as a team. They should have stayed the course that they went to the last two championships that got them where they are and let Mario Chalmers run the point 
let LeBron defend and score when necessary, and they would have been much better off than they were this year. Not saying they would have won, but they would have been much better off. They changed the game up because they saw they were getting their butts kicked, and they said, you know what, you're the king. Let's, let, 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 let's let the king lead us to victory, and he came up small for the third time in five NBA Finals chances. All right. He's warmed up, ladies and gentlemen. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. This is all good. Phil T. You've been sitting over there like a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a great analyst that you are. I want you to comment on what you heard, but I also want to say, you know, it seems like that would be ways to get a little heat, but Justin has to say about D-Wade. He, he says it's, it's, he, 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 he's making it sound like LeBron calls that for D-Wade. Comment on what you think about what was wrong with the Heat. And then what's this about D-Wade? I mean, what is going on with D-Wade? And, you know, they, 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 people were jumping on Chalmers before they jumped on D-Wade, and D-Wade hadn't done anything. What's your, how are you looking at this as somebody who has been supporting the Heat through all this? Well, I think the Heat had an outstanding season. I really do. Um, Justin touched on this earlier. They came in second place. <laughs> Clearly, they were built to win championships, but they came in second place. And I don't think that's anything to be ashamed about. Um, they won the first team, I believe, since the Celtics in the 80s to make four straight finals. Uh, say what you want to say about the East, how it's weaker than the West. That's true that's still an accomplishment. Um, if it wasn't such a big accomplishment, we'd see it more often every 30 years. <laughs> um, I think that he... So so moving on to the line way, yeah, I was frustrated the last couple of games because I just remember how Dwayne Wade, the type of player he was, um, he's tremendously better than somebody who's earned the league minimum. Uh, or the veteran minimum. Uh, he's, he's, he's still an all-star in this league, but he's a different type of player. And the Dwayne Wade we saw seven or eight years ago when he was leading the league to a championship with Shaq was, a, was that this was a guy that um, used his jump shot to keep you honest so that he could drive by you and get to the hole to create for others. Now it's kind of the reverse now. He uses the ability to drive by you as something to keep you honest, and he's he's clearly a jump shooter now. Um, and it's tough when you're playing against good teams, and you know jump shooters, like any other jump shooter, you're going to hit coach spells. And to me, when they needed a bucket, they need something to be created. Dwayne Wade just is not that player that consistently get things done like that anymore. And it pains me to say that. Um, do I think that the, the Heat can continue to win championships as they're constructed? Possibly. Um, but it was frustrating at times for me to watch Dwayne Wade because he, he also didn't play as well as I've seen him play on the defensive end as well. Yeah. And that's something that even in the past few seasons, when he's had slumps offensively, he was still giving it to you on the defensive end, playing average to above average defense, uh, you know, typically pretty good wing players. 
when you looked at some of the breakdowns when a lot of those open shots, oftentimes Dwayne Wade was a culprit. LeBron James was a culprit. Guys are trying to do too much. And, you know, I kept thinking about Belichick. Do your job. Do your job. Do your job. You know, Ed George, do your job. Do your job. <laughs> and, and, and clearly, Ed, Ed George is our college football coach at the way college. But, you know, clearly the Heat were trying to do too much. and They were trying to cover a lot of the gaping holes on defense. And that left, and, and the Spurs are smart enough to keep rotating, keep rotating. Yeah, our best player is Tony Parker. Yeah, our best player is Shinobu. Yeah, our best player is Duncan. But guess what? We have trust in all these other guys when they're wide open because they're professional players. So, you know, I in no way thought that the Heat were going to lose the five games. Um, I picked them to win in seven. But looking back, the Spurs and the Heat, you know, Justin mentioned that, you know, the Spurs got a cheap championship last year. I strongly disagree with that. They won. The better team won last year. Whoever wins is the better team. And, you know, this year, like last year, those teams weren't separated by much, man. You know, you you switch around two or three minutes any given game, the Spurs could have won that championship last year. And this year the Spurs got better and the Heat didn't. And I think that was a big difference. <laughs> They didn't – Mike Miller was hitting shots for them last year. Batty was hitting shots for them last year. And you thought Rashard Lewis was going to be that, that be that guy this year. But um, between him and Ray Lewis, I'm sorry, Ray Allen, those last couple of games, it was just – it was painfully obvious that they didn't have guys to knock out open shots and the Spurs did. And I, I think you hit on some good points. And I, I think part of it is that Spo realized that he didn't have the Mike Miller, the guy that could just come and fill in that gap and, and do it that. Some of the people he counted on just wasn't delivering. You know, I think if you watch, when, when they realized, when the Spurs realized that Thomas was struggling, you know if they went at him. Every time Parker was on, they went at him. Every time he was on Mills, they went at him. When Joseph came in, they went out. And they tried to drive his confidence down. They could see that. And he didn't have many people to go to the bench. You know, I felt like he should have gone – to some of those other guys like Douglas and some of these other guys who he played who were – he had some other folks on the bench who who are scorers. That, sometimes you got to stick those guys in to give you something. The only core guys you stick with is Wade, Boss, and LeBron. Everybody else, you know, can be interchangeable by the way they're playing. And I didn't think he did enough of that. And I think part of that was he didn't do what, what Popovich did to pair team. He didn't play those lineups like that, some of those other people that he had up there in suits to really give him the trust to be able to help him in this point. The other thing about Dwayne Wade is I think Dwayne needs to do what, what Ginobili did. I think he needs to lose that. He needs to lose 15 pounds. I think he's at a point in his career where if you look at Wade, he, he looks heavy. He don't have the lift. He needs to lose about 15 pounds. He needs to do it. I think Ginobili realized that. Lose some weight. When you get older, lose some weight so that you can get some of that quickness back. He might need to play, you know, the, the 25, 30 minutes, 25 minutes measured in a different way so he can be effective. But he definitely got to look losing weight. I think Boston got to gain some weight. The one thing I love about Justin when he said is that we got, they got to get back. If they're going to be successful moving forward, the the percentages of the touches and how you run the office 
will have to move LeBron and have to move more to Boss, and more Boss is scoring, he's got to be happening closer to the paint over time. He'll still have the ability to shoot the three, but he's got to get back to being more like a Toronto Boss, where when they struggle to score and run, they give him the ball, but he can get to the rim and get to the free throw line. And that's part of the game they got to get him back to and feature him more in that second unit with with Wade yeah. to give them the scoring opportunities when you're sitting uh, when you're sitting LeBron. I think some of that stuff Spolster is going to have to do in addition to they're going to have to up their talent around them. But I think the way they play boss is going to be going to have to change. And I think Wade is going yeah, to have to. Yeah, I agree. Man, I agree. Do you agree? Can I, can I can I hear what you agree with? Do you do you really feel like LeBron James didn't have enough talent around him this year? Because I keep hearing that from commentators. And I'm, I'm flabbergasted with the notion. I'm saying to beat the Spurs. He probably had enough talent to beat 95% of the teams he's going to face. But to beat who was that different? Spurs team. Who, who, other than Mike Miller, who was different on the team? That Mike they beat him just last game. year with the same team. But you know same what? Whenever he put Mike Miller on the court, he produced. The rest of those cats were up and down like Dow Jones. But you have a question. So I'm going I'm to let Phil go. What do you, Phil, answer your question. And then we'll come back to you, Josh. Yeah, well, I was saying I agree. I agree with Bosch needing to get more of his shots close to the basket. You know, I mentioned before the final started, this season Bosch averaged roughly three free throws a game, three free throw attempts a game, whereas his last two or three seasons in Toronto, he was getting to the line, you know, eight to nine times a game. He was among, like, he was in the top ten in the league in terms of free throw attempts. And so towards the end of that Indiana series, we saw him being more aggressive. He was getting to the line six to ten times a game. To me, that's kind of their barometer of success. If Bosch is, you know, shooting so many outside shots, um, which, I mean, he's got to be a very good – I mean, he's very confident shooting outside shots. now. He is. But to your point, Devon, I think they're at their best when he has a presence to kind of bring more balance. Uh, to their offense. So, so Justin, uh, back over to you. You, I'm gonna let you hit a couple points, but I got a couple I want to hit you with because I think you're moving down a line that that uh, you know. I, I want you. I want. I, I'm gonna push you on this. I want you to play. Spose advisor, because you talked a little bit about it. So. You you obviously got opinions about what adjustments Spo could have made. If you were if you were talking to Spo, what adjustments would you make to do some of the things I think you want to do? You say you want to get Chalmers on. So what, what adjustments would you have made to create those moments for 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 that you think they should have been doing? So first and foremost, I wouldn't have have rolled Rashad Lewis as long as, as Spo wrote Rashad Lewis. Rashad Lewis has been worthless since his 2010 finals appearance with the Orlando Magic. Okay. He, he had a couple big threes in the series against Indiana. Why that allows you, you know, to start in the NBA finals and, and, and average just as many shots as your third superstar in Chris Bosh is beyond me. First and foremost, who would you have started, Justin? Who would you have started, Haslam? I would have started UD, the leader of that team before LeBron got there. 
The guy who can hit, 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 the guy who can hit an open ten footer and can defend anybody. I would have ran my normal offense that got me there four years in a row. I wouldn't have deviated from the plan and went straight Cleveland on them and let LeBron get the ball and everybody else get the H E double hockey sticks out the way. I would have took LeBron off okay. the ball. I would have took LeBron off the ball and used him to set screens and possibly roll in a pick-and-pop situation or a pick-and-roll situation so he could get the ball when he's moving as opposed to getting the ball when he's stagnant, which allows the defense to set up for him. I would have let Mario Chalmers do the job that he's done the past three years that led them to two championships, and I would have allowed him to actually get his rhythm and bring the ball up the court and get everybody else involved, which is what he's known to do. Mario Chalmers didn't just struggle this postseason. Mario Chalmers had to happen, happen to have career lows in assists and points this season because they let LeBron James take that load away from him, which led to LeBron not being as effective. So if you ask me, I would have stayed the course. Spo got too smart for his own good with those advanced metrics and said, you know what, I'm desperate. I need LeBron to do it all. And when LeBron has to do it all, he's proven time and time again he's not who you think he is. Which leads me to a bigger point. We talk about LeBron like he's the best ever, like he could beat Michael Jordan, he could beat this guy, he could beat that guy. As great as LeBron James is in every facet of the game, he's not the best scorer in the league. Durant is, possibly Melo. He's not the best rebounder in the league. Joaquin Noah is, possibly Roy Hibbert. He's not the best defender in the league. George, uh, Paul George is. Like, we're talking about LeBron as great as he is, as if he's the best thing since sliced bread, but he's not the best at anything. He's top five in probably everything, which allows him to be great, but he's not the best at one single thing in the entire league. So you can't give him the ball and say, get out the way like Doug Collins did with Mike and expect for him to produce W's for you. You need to go with what got you all the things and all the accolades that you've achieved over the years, and that was team basketball. He's made Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh look like Justin Page and Phil Thompson. Like he's made them become average ball players. How can you make a Hall of Famer an average ball player? For everybody that says Miami had no help this year, you got to be kidding me. They had all the help they had last year when they won the championship and the year before that. They just changed how they operate, and they let everything go through LeBron. And when everything goes through LeBron, LeBron plays, again, for lack of a better term, hero ball. It's not necessarily hero ball because LeBron doesn't take every shot. But it's hero ball in the sense that he has the ball 80% of the, of the time, and it doesn't allow other players to get in a rhythm. And that's their biggest failure. Nobody was in a rhythm against a, a, a San Antonio team that everybody was in a rhythm. All right. So, Phil, you heard that. What's your rebuttal to that? I can, I can almost sense it in your voice. I can almost have it coming through the phone. What's your rebuttal? Uh, and I was just curious who Justin, you know, would have played instead of Lewis. And you know, I think Haslam would have been a good choice. Um, also I did call Haslam. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, but I look at what Spolster had to work with, and, you know, just like Popovich went with Dial, he changed his lineup throughout the series and played Dial. You know, I think he started him the second or third game, and that worked out really good for them. You know, Spolster went with Lewis against the Pacers, and, you know, he, he tried to ride that right way. You know, just like he bet on Ray Allen in the, in the fifth game, and Ray Allen did not have a good game. And I think as a coach, you try what you can. And, you know, I I do think LeBron James is uh, one of the best players in a lot of the categories that Justin mentioned. Um, yeah, you can argue that he's not the best facilitator. Maybe Chris Paul is. Maybe so-and-so is. But, you know, like Justin said, he's in the top five of everything, and, I think the way that the Heat played gives them the best chance to win, especially given that the Dwayne Wade this year is not the Dwayne Wade we saw the last couple of years. And, you know, it's I think I think Spolstra kind of figured that out when we figured that out. <laughs> right. You know, uh, but, but I think that, I mean, I'm not sure if there's a move that Spolstra could have made to win the series. Perhaps there's some moves that Justin mentioned, you know, that clearly probably would have worked better than what he did. Um, but I'm not sure that would have got them to game six or seven. Maybe game six, probably not game seven. I think the Spurs were just a better team. And, um, you know, I, uh, I'm i not sure what the, like, what the Heat should do in the offseason here. You know, in some ways it's going to depend on what LeBron decides to do, but, you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I kind of feel like, you know, like Justin said, they have enough to win because they have the best player in the world. And they also have, you know, two guys that are going to be Hall of Famers and Bosch and Wade presumably coming back. And if they put another piece or two around them, you know, the Mike Miller thing kills me a little bit because Mike Miller, I believe, I looked at this earlier in the week when I was prepping. But I think Mike Miller played like 75 to 80 games this year, uh, maybe every game this year. And he played really well for a team that made the playoffs. So one could argue, and Mike Miller was looking like he was done last year in the postseason. He came alive for a few games here and there, but he was a guy that was laying on the bench like Larry Bird, you know, nursing his back to give you 15 minutes. But in some ways, there was – like, there was something familiar about what he brought to the team last year, and that was missing. And Battier, uh, another year older, just was not able to give you what he gave in the last couple of years. Guys, Mike Miller did not make that. He, he didn't make them champions to go to losing every game from 15 points or more that they lost in the finals. Mike Miller was a, a good, solid fifth option and three-point shooter. But Mike Miller's not the reason they lost by 15 or more in all four losses in the NBA Finals. Well, you Mike can't Miller look at a role player to go from a win to a loss and that margin of victory being so great. It's not well, really Mike Miller, the reason. The reason they lost that is because they missed a ton of open shots. I, I mean, I don't think you can list one thing more that, like, the reason why they lost. They lost because 
guys like Cole, guys like Chalmers, guys like uh, Richard Lewis, guys like Ray Allen, they didn't make as many open jump shots as they normally make, and the Spurs did. Honestly, I think it, it boils down to three or four made shots that makes a game a five-point game versus a 12- or 13-point game. And that's where we have to agree to disagree. This game was not won. This series was not won or lost by missed shots by the Miami Heat. It was the, the, the pure dominance of the San Antonio Spurs and the Heat's lack of ability to stop them. And the reason San Antonio made shots and Miami didn't is because they gave up good shots to get great shots, and they got every shot that they wanted where Miami was forced to shoot shots that they didn't want or they weren't good enough to take. And that's the, the, the vast difference in our both your and my analysis of how the game played out. What I, but what I would look at, the reason why I'm saying it is that it's all about trust. So when the Spurs made those passes, folks made the shot. When well, Miami was moving the ball, but when you made the pass, people weren't making the shot. Then you hesitate about making the pass. You're like, they rather really this, moving this good. Look, look, I'm just going to say, a, a thing that looked like a good shot when a person who just went 0 for 3 is no longer a good shot. I, I better take this shot that is probably not a good shot, but I might make this because this person just went 0 for 3. It's a trust thing when you pass. When you pass to a guy like Miller last year, and this is why I say Miller is important, whatever you put him in, he produced. He's open. He's shooting. Now, you can say his back was bad, whatever, but what he did was he, he was a shot maker, and he energized them because it was short runs. He could stop a run. So, he will. you know, if San Antonio were a run, he hits a three, that's a stop of a run. With this one, Patty Mills makes three, four shots in a row. There's no rebuttal. Right? There's no rebuttal. And then he now you the first That moving. first game, Danny Green was 0 for 5, before, 0 for 4, whatever it was. He didn't hit a shot until the fourth quarter. And, yeah, they did trust him. I'll give you that. They trusted him to continue to shoot. And when LeBron went out, he hit those two threes to, to catapult the, the lead. But if you think about it, Miami, they didn't move the ball like you're saying they moved the ball. LeBron dribbled the, the H-E double hockey sticks out of the basketball and made a play last second to get an open shot. That's different than swinging the ball around the perimeter, uh, uh, getting the defense off their rocker, making them unbalanced and getting the shot that you want because the defense is off balance as opposed to one guy isolating and then creating offense through that. I think Pop's system was 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 a double. Pop's system was far better than Spo's system, which was letting LeBron James get the ball and get the heck out the way at the end of the day. That's what the Heat relied on. And I, what I will say is, and then we're about to move on to a, another part here, is what I will say is that I just don't think he had the option to play. And and so, there, you know, Pop had more and more to go to. Because when Danny Green uh, struggled last year, he didn't have Patty Mills to go to. This year he got Patty Mills, Joseph, Bellinelli, uh, uh, you know, he, he has five options, and then he can move Dial out to the same spot to be interchangeable. So last year he only had one option. This year for that same thing he's got four options 
so he can play against that. Miami just doesn't have those options. I think we got some good stuff going here. We are we're going really well with this. Uh, this thing is flowing really nicely. We're going to take a, 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 a few minutes here to, to pay a few bills with uh, our dog of the week and, and take care of that and come back and talk about some more basketball. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. Uh, we're on with uh, D. Wills with Phil T. And our man, Justin Page, NBA guy, who is, is, is bringing the noise tonight. Here we go with uh, Resistance Digital. Now we're going to get into our Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell you technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. All right, real sports guys, here we go. This is this is just this digital dog of the week. We're having a good time. Justin, Yen, you gotta give us your resistance digital dog of the week. Man, my dog of the week is Kawhi Leonard. He locked up LeBron James. He won the NBA championship. Yeah. He won the NBA Finals MVP. He honestly had me contemplating I may take Kawhi Leonard over LeBron James. I know it sounds crazy and everybody's gonna call me a LeBron hater. I think LeBron's the best player on the planet, but Kawhi Leonard proved otherwise this week. And for that reason alone, if you can be in the same conversation with the king, self-proclaimed, by the way, Kawhi Leonard, he he gets my vote (laughs) ten times out of ten. NBA Finals MVP, he locked up the king. He matched the king point for point, averaged more points in the last three games, won by double digits in every game. I could could not fathom anybody. I, I would expect both D. Wills and Phil T. to agree that Kawhi Leonard is the dog of the week. Oh, my goodness. We are loving it. He's on fire tonight. Phil T., you know what that means. That's right. Come to it. I'm going to go with Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn was a guy that I really looked up to um, as a baseball player growing up. Um. This is a guy that hit 370 one year. He hit over 390 in the strike shortened season. Uh, really the only player to, to really flirt with hitting 400 here in a modern era um, since since Ted Williams. This is a guy that won eight batting championships. His career batting average was 340. <laughs> that was his average. He was low and above. First ballot Hall of Famer, you don't see that a lot in baseball. You know, baseball has this really weird Hall of Fame uh, fraternity with the baseball writers voting, and it says a lot in this day and age if you can be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, sorry to lose him so early. He was in his mid-50s, and, you know, I just remember a young Tony Gwynn, a guy who stole 40, 40, uh, actually 50 bases one year. You know, people think about him towards the end of his career, but this is a guy that was a, that was drafted 
you know, as a basketball player by the San Diego Clippers when he came out of school. So um, my dog of the week is Tony Gwen, and, you know, clearly thoughts and prayers are with his family. That's a great one, uh, you know, class player, class class act. And you never hear so many media folks talk so glowingly about someone in the way in which he treated them um, during his time. I mean, people are just there. I mean, not usually just a whole bunch of players, but then media people coming out talking about the relationship they had with him and how open he was uh, is incredible. That's a great one. Um, I talked a little bit about Chuck Noll early on, and, and um, I'm just going to give him a special dog. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that I recognize Popovich. Um, yeah, I was like, Phil, I was like, what makes this guy tick? Like, who is this guy? And when I saw him sitting on that bench just exhausted, you know, after probably one of the most devastating losses in any coach's career, the way he lost last year. I mean, basically he had the champagne in his mouth and he took the bottle out of his hand. And just to see his reaction, he just reminded me of you know, one of my other favorite coaches, Chuck Daly. I mean, just knowing how to push the button, knowing how to do what I, I talk about, talent development. Because there's not enough talent development in sports. We talk about that in education. We talk about that in building careers and teams that at a certain point, you just can't look for the LeBron James type of folks. You can't look for the Tim Duncan type of folks. You also have to, if you don't win, you've got to do some talent development, capacity building with folks who don't yet know they're great. And what he's done with Kawhi Leonard, who is a fantastic young player, but the way he instills confidence, what he's done with Patty Mills to instill confidence, what he did to help rebuild DL, not just, and I think Justin hit this earlier, is not just instilling confidence, but he puts these little systems in where Coaches are working on them to develop their game all throughout the season. He's just a fantastic coach, uh, unbelievable person, and uh, I got so much respect for him. And uh, it'll be hard pressed to bet against him again. So that was uh, the uh, dog of the week brought to us by Resistance Digital Solutions. Uh, check out our guy LR. You can get to him uh, by going to our website. Um, he's, he does incredible service. Uh, a lot of referrals we have. I've just been pleased with the, way, the work that he's done. Make sure you support our sponsors. Again, we're on the uh, Fredericks uh, founding gateway. Um, you can get to him, uh, uh, get to them as well through our uh, realsportsguys.com and click on the the, the, the icon for Fredericks County, and uh, that'll take you right to those folks. But it's great. We're gonna. Um, I'm gonna twist a little bit in here. I want to finish a little bit on this. Um, some of this NBA stuff because I, I think there's some stuff that's just been hitting uh, before we, we transition into some of our talk about this 84 draft. I want to spend a few minutes on it. Is, you know, if you think about where they go from here, you know, one of the things that happened to the Pistons, I'm a big 30 for 30 guy, um, and the Pistons stuff is when they lost Rick Mahorn to the expansion draft, and that kind of changed the chemistry of the team. I'm going to give you one person to choose from each team that is that is a person they can't afford to lose if they're going to continue to go. Phil, I want you to say, for the Spurs or for the Heat, who are, who's, who's someone they can't afford that would change kind of their chemistry, given where they are? Hmm. Um, 
Uh, I would say for the Heat, believe it or not, I think that it's Chris Anderson, Birdman. Um, Birdman's a guy that I'm not sure how many other NBA teams he'd be starting on. I'm not sure how many other NBA teams that he'd be getting 25 to 30 minutes um, for in crunch time and, you know, very important games. But that speaks to the lack of depth <laughs> that the Miami Heat have in terms of big guys. They just can't even afford to lose him, even though he's going to be a year older. Um, for the Spurs, wow, it's a great question. Huh. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but, huh. I mean, assuming that their top eight players are protected, um, so that kind of takes out guys like, you know, Tim Duncan if he comes back. I mean, that you're looking at the fringe guys. I would say um, Boris Diaw probably. Here's a guy that if you are starting a new team, I believe he's a guy you can build around. You know, he won't be your top one or two players on your team, but he's a person that can really complement. And he plays so unselfishly. I think if there was an expansion draft, he'd be somebody that a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, teams would be interested in. So, um, because Boris Diaw gave them an aspect that they didn't have last year. Um, Patty Mills did too, but I think more with Diaw, they had a a big that they could put out there that couldn't be exposed like last year's Twitter and Matt Bonner could be. All right, Justin, who do you say uh, from the from Spurs and the Heat? If I had to say the Spurs. While I agree with Phil T, they can't afford to lose Dia. Dia was very, very valuable to them. I don't think they can afford to lose Splitter. Skip Bayless's favorite guy, Tiago Splitter. Hopefully I did this in justice with the Splitter. <laughs> Tiago Splitter, to me, was that inside force that wasn't scared of anybody on Miami. And I think he gave them the energy they needed and the inside presence they needed to push them over the hump this year. I think his evolution from last year to this year was a was was the difference why they did not win last year and they won this year. Miami, they can't afford to lose LeBron James. He's the only player that matters. D Wade can go, Chris Bosch can go, everybody can go. As long as you have LeBron James, you're gonna win sixty games, you're gonna make it to the finals. He proved that in Cleveland time and time again. He either got to the finals or won 60 games the last three, two years in Cleveland. Other than that, Cleveland, other, Miami can do whatever they want as long as they don't lose LeBron James. So, to me, that's a very basic question. But we're, no, but we're talking expansion drafts. I mean, typically in the expansion draft, you're like a team who, who, We don't have any new teams coming players. in, so we're not going to have an expansion draft. So, you know... It's a hypothetical question, Justin. If the Heat had to lose, I would say. So you baited me in. You mentioned hypothetical question. You mentioned Phil T. If the top eight players are protected, 
Birdman's a top eight player for the Heat. So your hypothetical answer to this hypothetical question is somewhat, you know, skewed only because Chris Anderson is a top eight player for the Heat. It's still so a if we're looking at LeBron top James. eight players, if we're looking at, honestly at top eight players, I can't use Mario Chalmers. I can't use Ray Allen. I can't you use Bird. It doesn't have to be a top eight player. If you think Mario, if you think they need to keep Mario Chalmers, he's a free agent, right? I mean, most of those guys are available. So you think they need to resign Mario? I do think or they, they need Mario, better? and I think that they won two championships with Mario. And Mario was a key part of what I want. And when Mario was not a key part, they lost. And they, they didn't just lose. They got their ASS handed to them in dramatic fashion. They didn't, do any, they didn't play Miami Heat basketball when Mario Chalmers was not playing Mario Chalmers' role. So if, if you pin me to a wall, my answer then is my, Mario Chalmers for the Heat. And for the Spurs... I don't care who you lose. They've got such a system. They've got such consistency. And they've got such great leadership from Buford and Pop all the way down. They can lose anybody, and it will be okay. They, they, they lost. They, they made Kawhi Leonard be talked about in the same breath as LeBron James because he's now NBA Finals MVP. He now locked up the king. He now had a better series than the king when going head-to-head. So you got to put Kawhi Leonard up there as the person that the Miami Heat, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, San Antonio Spurs cannot lose because he's the future face of their franchise. All right. So I, I would agree two people that I think they can't afford to lose. And I think the DL one I think is a pretty popular one. Um, I agree with you on that. I think he's so versatile, and he's only getting better in the way you can leverage him. I think the other person they can't afford to lose because of this, the jump he's made and the way in which he provides relief for Parker, again, is I think Patty Mills. I think Patty Mills broke through. Yeah. I liked him from his days in college. I thought this guy is a special guy. He's got some talent. And I, I was surprised yeah. it took so long for him to catch on. But he's a guy that I think the Heat should go after, to tell you the truth. I mean, he's a free agent. I think the Heat, <laughs> I think um, – uh, you know, uh, Indiana, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that um, uh, if I was him, I, I would go after him if they had the ability to go get him. Um, he could do it. Uh, under heat, I think there are a lot of guys you can let go, but I do agree with Birdman um, and folks like that because he, he's long. And if you can fill in some of these other parts and you bring him back to help defensively and be that active person, he's another person that they got to get him repaired to get his energy back. And he wasn't getting those 50-50 balls like I like. But I think you can get him re-energized. I think he gives you something. Uh, he's someone I like, uh, I like to keep in free agency um, if, if, um, uh, if I'm the Heat. So, you know, we'll see how, you know, there's going to be a lot of free agency talk when it comes here. Uh, but sometimes, like we learned from uh, Miller, I think Miller's departure is bigger than we think. Sometimes you don't think that really matters, but there's a chemistry thing there. And that's why I say it's important when I use Rick Mahorn. It wasn't just um, what he provided on the back end of defense. He provided some leadership and some stuff in the locker room. He provided some chemistry that, you, you know, is not part of the front-line players. But, you know, when you're around teams enough, it's not the LeBron James or the Duncans. And all. It's just some of those other guys that keep people laughing, that keeps the trip, the long trip going. 
they know what buttons to push. They they aren't afraid to. What makes UD so great? He's not afraid to be the one that yells at LeBron. You need that old cat who can do that because you you, you could do that. Juwan Howard can no longer do that. As long as you don't play that many minutes, you can't bring him on to yell. So UD did that really well. So those those blue guys are guys that you that you miss that you need to really think about. I yeah. want to spend a little bit of time here um, around history. And we don't spend much time with it, but you know, this is a, you know, there's been some great documentaries, sport documentaries happening. Like this has been the age of the sport documentary, but you know, um, but that 1984 draft one has just been kind of fascinating. And um, just want to get briefly just your opinions on that draft and um, and just quickly some 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 folks that that. People don't often talk about that draft that 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 you like. Um, so, Justin, I'll start with you real quick, and then go to Phil. Well, uh, I, I like the the '84 draft. I think it had some of the best players we've seen in in, in our lifetime. I'm an '80s baby. I was born in 1980. Therefore, mm-hmm. I saw the the lights of of the great Michael Jordan and and Charles Barkley. But I feel as if 80s babies and and everybody n- near me, meaning 75 to 85, a good decade. I think we all focus on the past way too much. Why don't we ever look at right now? Why is it everything was better then? And I honestly believe that the current elite class of the NBA which happened to have been drafted in 2003, I would argue is equally great to the 84 class. I don't think that we need to look at ESPN's documentary of the 84 draft and give them any kudos other than that they're of the one and only Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I think the 03 class with LeBron, Melo, Chris Bosh, and D-Wade, you know, I think that's equally comparable to the 84 draft. And, you know, Kyle Korver, who just set the, the, the three-point record in the league for, for my Atlanta Hawks, who was drafted 51 in the 2003 draft. Or even Kendrick Perkins, who was a uh, champion in Boston Celtics and, and has led OKC to greener pastures as 27th pick. And you and Phil T seem, seem to be favorite guy. Boris Diaw was, happened to be drafted in 2003. So well, I think the 84 draft was great, and I think it gets a lot of recognition due to ESPN's current uh, uh, 30 for 30 that they had on that draft. Just because Jordan was in that draft doesn't make it the best. And just because it happened in the 80s Jordan. doesn't make it the best, even though I'm an 80s baby. I really appreciate the 2003 draft and others, but I chose to talk about the 03 draft because I think it was the best draft I've ever seen and witnessed in my days. Now, you know, I'm going to let you all come back. So go, 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 Otis Stewart was one of my favorite Oh, players. man, you stole it. Go ahead. You stole my. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do your thing. <laughs> yeah, so Otis Stewart was a first-round draft pick. Uh, let me see. The ninth overall pick, picked by the Kings back in Kansas City Kings. Um, and 
you know, I remember him from those great rocket teams of the mid nineties. He won a chip like with that first championship with Akeem or Hakeem Elijahwan. Um, but then during that second championship season they actually moved him like he was part of the Clyde Drexler trade. So um he actually didn't get a second reign. Uh, with with the Rockets. So this is a guy that made an all-star team or two. He averaged 20 and 10 earlier in his career. And to me, he was just a really solid guy. I mean, he shot 56% from the field during his seven or eight seasons of the Rockets, still a record for them. He was a really reliable guy. You know, he'd get you 12 and 8, 15 and 10 during those years. And just somebody who you know, at times took pressure off Elijah Wan because he was 6'11". He was a big guy that he could guard multiple positions. So Otis Thorpe's a guy that stands out for me. Well, I think you hit some really good ones. One of the things that uh, that was Otis Thorpe was mine. I had, I had a couple other ones. But the one, and I was surprised because I had a couple. Michael Cage is one, but I'll go back. And I, I, I'll come back to it. But I'm here just because the way Justin just came up. My other guy is out of your place down in Atlanta, Kevin Willis. Man, Kevin Willis was a beast in it with the Hawks. I mean, some footer. He was physical. He'd go at it. Um, you know, that was a team with uh, Doc and Dominique and Kevin Willis. I mean, Kevin used to go to work on folks. Um, yeah. Came out of Michigan State. Um, I just used to love his game and felt like, you know, he played here with some great centers. I felt like he never really got the love uh, he deserved as a center. He he brought his workhorse game uh, all the time, and I don't think he really uh, got got the got the love he he really had. He, he averaged what about 17 points, you know, 11 rebounds. But you know, anybody who battled against him um, it, with some great Hawks teams, of which he was a centerpiece. Um, Knew that he was going to go to work on him. He was going to go to work guys, on him. So, guys, guys, Otto Thorpe was a lottery pick. Kevin Willis was a lottery pick. Neither one of them, it, it, as great as they both were at their respective roles, they didn't deserve to be lottery picks. Kyle Corver, who owns a three-point Kyle championship. Corver? Oh my Kyle Corver has made more consecutive three-pointers than anybody to ever play the game. And he was drafted in the second round as a 51 oh, oh, pick oh, oh, in 2003. In this one alone, I'm going to shut this down because we're going to transition <laughs> for the final moment. Because I'm going to bring you back. But just in this one alone, for what you're talking about, and I love that draft. You're talking about Olajuwon, Jordan, Barkley. You, you, you're talking about Stockton uh, in that draft. Stockton uh, at 16, uh, I'll give you. you, well, you, got, you, got, you got Michael Cage. Is is one of the most incredible rebounders that people don't know along, yeah. along with what you talking about. Vern Fleming was a was a solid ball player and, and, and didn't get a, a lot of love on, on on that as well. I mean, you just keep. I mean, you go at hell. He didn't even play and didn't even get a chance to play. Eric Turner <laughs> was would have been great in the draft. Oh, we talking boy. about and Stop. he was he was he was one of the top guys coming out. Did, of did you just hit me with Eric Turner? <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> I'm going to 
Jerome Curtin. Jerome Curtin Phil was the P. second last person drafted in that draft. I mean, there's so much other talent here. You lost your mind. But we love having yeah, you. Yeah, this is a guy that averaged 18-15 one year. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Lewis was a good player. He made multiple all-star teams. He averaged 18-15 yeah. one year. I mean, he's yeah. a guy who deserved to be in the, the lottery. I mean, if you look yeah. at Eric a lot Turner? of these guys that were drafted, now Eric Turner was a very weak part of the argument. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. yeah. I was trying to touch the bottom when he brought up Eric Turner. Because that's the homer. I just noticed that Eric Turner happened to, to, to be drafted by the Detroit Pistons. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But come on, guys. Like, he got the worst draw ever. When he got drafted by the Pistons, I just took my head. I'm like, you, oh, you'll never see playing time with Zeke there. Well, but I, you hit it all. This has been a great one. You know, now, we, we, do, this, we do this segment. Uh, that's very important, Justin. Now, it's called The Last Word, and it's, it's, it's brought to us by XL Academics. But i got to let you know, if, if you run over, i got to cut it off. But, I, but you're a special guest, and i got to give you the last word. I will let you know that you get close to time. But I want to give you the last word, brother, because we love having you on. You got about thirty seconds. Tell your thoughts. I love to be on. I appreciate all the fans, all the supporters of Real Sports Guys. I know I can be a little over the top sometimes. Even even when I don't use words I shouldn't use, I spell them out, and I shouldn't do that either. And thank you for all the fans for sticking sticking with us, Real Sports Guys. I thank you guys for the opportunity to showcase uh, my talents and my basketball knowledge. I say go Hawks, I say go Falcons, and I, I appreciate the opportunity, and please have me back whenever I can so I can help school. One, the game changer who is scared of me tonight. Two, my boy Phil T, who makes sure I'm appropriate. And D. Wills, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you guys. Had a great time. Let's go. That's it. Where can they find you, Justin, really quick? They can find me at JustinPage80 at Twitter. Or real sports guys, Justin Page, uh, J Page eighty. Check me out. All right, y'all. We're doing this. Phil T, Justin Page, D Wills. It's been good, y'all. Till next week. We're out.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.